0: Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. I did say to you that it's appropriate that we actually look at Philippians at this time of year because traditionally the church um, celebrates Advent. And we think about Jesus coming as a baby, and I made reference to this morning as we broke bread. Uh, I, I love this time of year. It's, it's a beautiful time of year. There are lights everywhere. As you can see, and everywhere you go, whether it's Oxford Street or anywhere in London, Harpenden, any of the towns, the lights are absolutely beautiful. And there's a sense of, of joy and celebration and uh, that people are focusing, especially at this time of year, on celebrating together. And that's a powerful thing. But Jesus said, this, uh, the Bible says when, when, when the angel announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, like I said previously, the angel said, this is the sign that you should look for should look for a baby you should look for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and you should look for a baby in it's in in a humble situation actually not born as a as a high person or a king but a baby that is lying in a cattle trough in a in a watering place for cattle that's that's the sign to you that something extraordinary is happening in the universe it's amazing isn't it god turns everything on its on its head and does unexpected and the extraordinary And so I'd like to speak to you this morning as we look at this portion of um, Philippians, as we think about light and celebration, that actually Paul says to all of us that we all should be lights in the darkness. And so I'm going to look very simply with you at three very simple things that I hope you'll remember as we think about Christmas and we think about what we actually are celebrating as Christians, that truly the light of our lives would point others to the great light, the sun of the eternal light the one who is the ancient of days. And and so, here we go. Luke chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some translations also throw in complaining. Uh, Do everything without grumbling, arguing, or complaining, so that you might become blameless and pure. Children of light or children of God, without fault, in a warped, some translations use the word depraved, in a warped or depraved, crooked generation. Then you will shine amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Shall we pray? Uh, Holy Spirit, once again, we ask that you'd come and teach us. We ask that you'd make your word plain to us and clear, that we might live as lights in a dark place, that we might truly shine like stars in the sky that would point in an obvious way to the great light that is Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate well this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, these, these verses are a conclusion to what Paul has already been setting up in the first chapter, towards the end of the first chapter. And uh, we've looked at this before, but just to refresh your, your memory, from verse 27 onward, remember, he's making this great appeal for unity in the church. He's, he's saying to the Philippian church, he's saying to all of us, come on, guys. Uh, If any of you have any kind of love in your hearts, get on with each other. Basically, that's what he's saying. He's making a great appeal for unity and to the Philippian church. And he says, I want you to hold together in love. And we've looked over the last couple of weeks at what that looks like. And then ultimately, he points to Jesus as his his, uh, primary witness, his primary example of humility, and says, actually, we should have the same attitude as Jesus, who was the eternal God outside of time, who, who chose to lay aside all of that and took on the form of a human being in the form of the humblest kind of human being, a baby, and restricted himself in his body to the limitations of like, living like a human being and chose to be born as the humblest of the humble, the poorest of the poor, in a cattle trough, we have to have the same attitude as Jesus if we're going to get on with each other. That's what Paul is saying. Right, that's really the tone of the first chapter. And so now, I kind of alluded to this last week, where he says, work out your salvation, and he gets practical, and he says, yep, you believe in the grace of God, that's wonderful, but there's a practical outworking in your life of the inner thing that's transformed you, it needs to start showing on your face, and how you speak, and how you live, what's happened on the inside, let it be obvious to everyone on the outside. That's what he's appealing to. He's saying, work out your salvation. And now he's carrying that on. And he starts with this little encouragement in the first, in the first little portion. Um, it is an encouragement, although it's a very difficult encouragement. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. He's trying to encourage them, right? How, how many of you would love to be able to get that right? Do everything. I mean, I was thinking about that this week. That's the thing about preaching. You always have to like, oh, God, why this verse? Why this verse this week? Because I can grumble and I can complain. (laughs) And Paul says, no, no. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, if there's something on the inside of you that's being transformed, do everything without groaning, complaining, or arguing. And that's part of working out your salvation. I'd like to look at that very simply with you this morning. What does he really mean when he says that? Well, I think you know Paul was a great great uh, thinker, and he was a Jew, he was, a, he was a, a Sadducee, and so I would imagine that when Paul is talking about, thinking about complaining, he's got the Jewish people in mind, he's got, he's got the Israelites in mind, remember Egypt? Oh, for the leeks and the garlics of Egypt, said the, the people, they've been set free from slavery, and they've come into a whole new future inheritance, a new, a new uh, land, the land of Canaan, and they start complaining and saying, we long for garlic, we long for onions. Those are the things that bring flavor to food. Isn't that right? I can identify a little bit for what they're saying if our manna wasn't very tasty. You know, we want some taste in our food again, Lord. Come on. So there's this little bit of an attitude that they have. Um, and they grumble against Moses, and they grumble against God. And really, they're expressing an inward discontent. that They're not really trusting the sovereignty of God for their lives, are they? They're not really trusting that God's plan to get them out of Egypt into a new, new kingdom is really the best. It's kind of, can we really trust what God is doing? And they start complaining. They start grumbling. And isn't it like that with us? Uh, when we start distrusting God's sovereign plan for our lives, when we start saying, God, have you really got this right? <laughs> is this really your plan for my life? We start to kind of complain and grumble a little bit inwardly. And so Paul's trying to... Encourage them not to be like that. He's saying, no, no, don't do everything without complaining, without grumbling, without arguing. Trust God's sovereign plan in your life. Why? Because He is a good Father. You know, we sing that a lot, don't we? That song, Good, Good Father. Why do I like to sing it a lot? Because, you know, you have to sing things over and over and over again to get them from your head into your heart so that you really believe them. And I want to put it to you this morning. If you really, 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 really really believe that God is a good father, it changes everything. Even the hard things that you have to go through. It changes everything. Andrew uh, is led worship this morning, and on the 20th of this month, he goes into hospital to have a major operation, heart operation, which is critical for his future. So what I'm saying to you for Andrew, I'm not trying to embarrass him, but, but it's like... Does he believe God is good? It's a challenge for all of us in all of our lives, isn't it? Do we, what we really believe deep, 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 deep in the inside person determines so much of how we view the whole of life. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say, I want you to understand that God is sovereign. He is good. Underneath your life are the everlasting arms of the Father that hold you up. Whatever is happening The everlasting arms of the Father are undergirding, holding your life up. And so I'm aware this Christmas that many of us will have happy family situations. Perhaps your family situation is not so happy. Perhaps there's all sorts of tensions in your extended family. I want to encourage you like Helen did. Let God undergird you with his everlasting arms. Let that be the basis of your celebration. This, this, this Christmas. Regardless of the family dynamics, whether they're good or bad or indifferent, Jesus loves you. He is your Father. He loves you with an everlasting love. And celebrate that this Christmas. Point your heart towards the, the cradle of Bethlehem that points ultimately to the cross of Calvary and be refreshed in that as you celebrate this Christmas. Amen. So... Do you notice um, that Paul is trying to say, he's trying to say, I want you to start demonstrating the inward life that has started to happen on the inside of you. I want you to, start, you to start demonstrating that to everybody in how you speak and your attitude. right? And then do you notice he says there's an aim. He doesn't say just do this in a random way. He says he's aiming, he's, he's, he's got an aim for them. He says, so that you might be blameless and innocent. That's the aim. That's the aim of all God's people is that we are blameless and innocent. right? I'd like to to look at that because he, he's, he's saying that's clearly the aim of every Christian to be blameless. so what does he mean blameless well I'm not sure no I, in fact I'm convinced he's, he's not saying that you must be sinlessly perfect he's not saying that as a Christian you never sin there was a movement in the 18th century called sinless perfection which gave birth to a lot of the holiness movements which emphasized and said well if you are really born again and you have the spirit of God on the inside of you you should not sin ever Right, and they really put stuff onto people and said you must be holy, and there must be a demonstration of holiness. And I agree with that. There, there should be fruit, as Jesus says. You know, a pear tree doesn't produce apples. If you are if you are born again on the inside, there should be some righteousness that people can see. But we can emphasize that too much, so it gets legalistic, yeah? and people feel like bound up instead of being free. So I don't think Paul is saying that. He's not saying, it's not saying you must be sinlessly perfect. What he is saying is that you must be blameless. Well, what does that mean? And I was just thinking um, how I could illustrate it in the best possible way. It's like, it's like this. It's like the basic areas of your life are in place. And uh, you can, uh, what, what Paul is trying to say is that when other people look at your life, they shouldn't be able to accuse you of anything. So, for example, if you are in the workplace, say, in a a banking situation or whatever it is in London, and everybody else is prepared to bend the rules a little bit to get the maximum profit for the, for the company and uh, take a little bit for themselves. As long as you get away with it and you're not caught, Paul says, that's not being innocent. Yeah, what Paul is saying is your life should demonstrate in the way that you live that in the big areas of your life, no one can point to you and say, when there's a guy that you, if you want to plan... You know, if you, if you want a TV that's fallen off a truck, when is the guy to speak to? That's what he's saying. saying, in those kind of areas of your life, be innocent, that no one can point a finger and accuse you that you can stand before God and say, I am innocent, I am blameless, in that sense. Does that make sense? So that no one can accuse you of dishonesty or exploiting others for your personal gain. So that's why he says we're innocent of any accusation. Do you notice he doesn't only just say that. He says you must be blameless and innocent. But then he also says children of God. I find that little phrase interesting. We must be innocent of other people accusing us of basic things. But he also says that you should be a child of God. In other words, our behavior, how we live, begins to reflect our heavenly father. That we have a different father we have a Father in heaven. And so our behavior, how we respond to each other, how we love each other, begins to reflect that we are actually a, a citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That Jesus and our Father in heaven actually is in, ultimately in control of our lives. That over a period of time, and this, you know, I've still got character flaws, all right? Everyone has character flaws. But, yes, the but. And <laughs> if I think of how I was five years ago, I've made progress. That's the key. Thank you. I've made progress. You see? And that's what Paul is saying. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, over your lifetime, over your journey with Jesus, there should be less obvious character flaws than when you started. Why? Because... The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Jesus is transforming you. The Holy Spirit is transforming you. And you are becoming more and more like His Son. Amen. Amen. It is like that, you see. That's why I get get a little bit uh, uh, disturbed when people blame things on their nationality. I I find it disturbing. Because why? Because it's saying there's something that I can't allow the Holy Spirit to transform me in. So not like like loud people or aggressive people. It's because I'm Italian or because I'm Spanish. I can't help it. No, actually you can. (laughs) Because all of who you are, just like all of who I am, comes under the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And He transforms me. And so there are certain things in terms of our nationality that are part of who we are. But we can't use those as an excuse to behave in a way because we don't want to really change that part of us. We don't want to allow the Holy Spirit to get there and say, Oh, that thing's got to change, because that's not like Jesus. Are you with me? Okay. So that's what I think Paul is saying. And I want to say to you, you notice he puts it quite strongly. He says you must be don't grumble and complain. Let your inward life come out. Uh, be innocent. Don't let people be able to accuse you of anything. You must begin to reflect that you are a child of a heavenly father. And then he says, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And he puts it strongly. He says, actually, I want you to stand out. <laughs> Christians, can you hear me? Everyone who loves Jesus this morning. Jesus does want you to stand out. He doesn't want you just to be part of the crowd. He doesn't want you just to agree with how everything is in the culture and say, I'm not making any difference to that culture whatsoever. No, he says, I want you to shine like a star in the midst of a dark sky. He is saying, Paul is saying, Jesus put it like this, you are salt, you are light. By definition, there's something that must shine, that must make a difference. Paul is saying, he's putting it strongly, he's saying, I'm not just saying this happens in church. No, when we get together, he's saying, actually in your life, in in the way that you live, you are like a star that everybody can see when everything else is dark around you. You are the minority and you are shining brightly in the midst of a dark sky. That's what he's saying. Uh, And some people... You know, don't like the word, if your translation says depraved generation. People don't like that. It's like, no, who who are you to say that I am depraved? You Christians who judge everybody say everyone else is depraved. No, I think this is what Paul means when he uses that word depraved or uses that word as crooked. In every culture, how many of you would agree that our culture zigzags? Our culture zigzags all over the place. What was true 10 years ago in terms of sexuality is not true anymore. Our culture says, no, it's all gone. It's all changed. Zigzagging like this. All over the place. And I put it to you in five years, there will be some new thing that we are going to have to say, well, do we agree with that or not? Zigzagging like this. All over the place. When Paul uses this word depraved, this is what he means. He means that every person outside of Christ deviates from kindness and deviates from genuineness, genuineness that God would like to see in every human being. In that sense, Paul is saying, all of us are depraved. All of us have gone astray from God's original intention for the human race, which was kindness and love and genuineness representing that faithfully to all of humanity. That's what Paul is saying. We are all depraved in that sense. And so Paul's changed to the Philippians, Paul's changed to you and I, in every pagan culture, and I want to, you might not like my language, but I want to put it to you, our culture is increasingly pagan, increasingly secular, increasingly rejecting anything of any kind of outside responsibility. That's the, that's the tone of our culture, isn't it? You Christians, who are you to say that we should live in any way? We are going to live like we want to live, and we are going to decide what we want for our own lives, and it's not going to have any reference to anything outside. No God is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to decide for myself. That's the great secular cry, isn't it? I will decide about everything for my life, and let no one tell me what to do, especially not some God. Well, Paul says, you all zigzag all over the place, every culture, when you reject Jesus. And he's saying, that's not the call of the Christian. The call of the Christian is to faithfully shine to the light of the world that has transformed us from the inside. And that means that you shine like a star in a very dark sky. I said to you last week, I have not felt that I fit in for many, many years now. And I thought, why is that? I feel so uncomfortable in so many ways. It's like, I I just don't fit in. (laughs) I thought, is it that I'm male? You know, there's so much pressure on men now not to be men. You know, don't be like that. You know, don't be too kind of masculine. Don't be too South African. Don't be so loud and... Aggressive and all that stuff, I've realized, you know, it's actually got nothing to do with that. (laughs) Actually, it's because I don't belong here. I don't. I belong in another kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God's grace. And it's where kindness and mercy and love reign eternally. And I don't fit in because that's not like here. It's not like that here. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. And my responsibility and your responsibility is to shine like a star. And not to stop shining. Not to give in to the pressure and say, oh, well, it's really hard to shine, man. It's hard to shine. Yes, it is. But it's possible because of the transformation that's happening on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not accusing anyone here today. I'm just saying I've come to that point in my life. And Helen and I have said, you know, sometimes it does feel like, we're not suicidal, but God, just it'd be better just to be with you right now. Please take us. Let's go to heaven. you never felt like that? Oh, no, seriously, honestly, I'm not trying to be funny. I-, I do feel like that sometimes. I feel like, but for the sake of my family and my children, I want to see something of their future. The sake of the church. I've got to keep on doing what God's called me to do. But sometimes I do feel like, Jesus, I just want to be with you. It's far easier right now. So Paul says to all of us that we must shine like stars against the majority which is dark and black. And he says, and I'm not going to talk much about this this morning because we've spoken about this before. Um, He says we should hold firmly to the gospel. Remember, I I spoke about this a number of weeks ago. It implies that we understand the gospel for ourselves. must know what Jesus has done for us so we can responsibly and kindly speak that out to other people. But he also says not only to hold on to the gospel, there's another meaning of the word there, which means hold out the gospel. So you hold on to it, you defend it, you understand it. And at the same time, you hold it out to others. You, you present this good news to other people and that's a very important idea because it implies, it says actually as what we have as Christians to live and the way that we live should be like an offering. And he'll, put, he'll point to it later where he says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. It should be an offering that we offer to other people that they can taste and see that there is a good God, that there's a father in heaven that loves them. And that's really what he's saying. He's saying we hold on to this message for ourselves. It transforms us. At the same time, we hold it out to to the world and say that this dark place in which we live, we have something to offer that can help your crooked life, your zigzagging life, be made straight. That's the implication. That's what he's saying. And he says all of this is the thing that we are aiming at. He says, this is the thing that you aim at as Christians. This is what you aim as you live. To be free of com- complaining and grumbling and arguing so we can live our lives as God wants them to be. All right, and last, so just three things I said. The first thing, this word of encouragement to do everything without gra- uh, complaining or arguing. Secondly, this thing of shining like stars against the, 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 the dark sky. And then I found this very interesting. Thirdly, do you notice what Paul says the significance of all of this is? He says, he says that I, sorry, can you just go back to verse 16? There you are. Holding fast the word of God so that the lay of be proud that I did not run in labor or labor in vain. I find that very interesting. He doesn't say to the Philippians so that you can say of yourself that I ran a good race and I did not labor in vain, personally. He's saying, no, this is what I'm going to feel about you. Uh, It's connected with, uh, my my life is connected with yours. So at the end, if you guys run a good race, I'm going to be able to boast on that day and say, see Jesus, see Father, they've run a good race. Are you with me? And so he's connecting um, how they shine as lights with the effectiveness of his ministry. That's what he's saying. And so remember, he started telling them how he felt about being in prison. And now he's also trying to connect how they are living with his eternal reward. Remember, we spoke about that last time, and how they are going to affect his life eternally. And so what he's saying is, actually, he's recognizing that all of us, before one day, are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as as Christians. And his reward as a preacher, his reward as an apostle, is somehow linked with how they've done. That's what he's saying. And so that's how it is for all of us. Everyone that lives out the gospel or preaches or teaches the gospel is that actually our lives are intrinsically connected with the people that we are ministering to. And Paul says something of his heavenly reward is locked up in how they do. And so someone like Young Life, all the guys that work for Young Life, something of your reward is locked up in how those kids do. Isn't that encouraging? Our lives are not just about ourselves. Our lives are about the effect that we have on other people. And we don't always see that. Something of Clive's reward as a headmaster is that one day, God, in the, before the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to say, Clive, well done. You don't know, but you know what you did, how it affected all those young people, all those kids? Part of your reward is linked in the lives of other people. Now that should encourage all of us that how we live and what we do is not just about us. It's about the whole bride of Christ. Whatever your gift is, whatever your gift is, work out your gift to hear that reward from God one day. And you're not going to know the impact that your life has had on however many people. You don't know. But Paul says, "I live for that day, that I can hear from God that I have not worked and labored in vain, but that you have done well." That's what he's living for. And so uh, I was just thinking about that, and you know he says it again, in other places, he says it to the Thessalonian church, but in a, in a slightly different way. Uh, One Thessalonians 2:19. He says this, "What is our hope?" He's speaking in the third person, he's speaking of himself. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus? He's setting it up. He's saying, what is, is my hope, my joy, my crown? And then three little words. After that, is a for? Is it not you? It's beautiful. He's saying, that's what I'm living for. I'm not living for myself. I'm living so that you do well. That's my glory. That's my joy. That's my crown that all of you start to do well and all of you prosper. You know, if we could just get this into our hearts, there would be no competition in the body of Christ, would there? (laughs) Why? Because it's our joy when other people start doing well. Come on. It's our joy when everyone else starts to do well. It's my joy when I see someone's marriage being restored. It's my joy when I see someone who's who's been struggling with parenting get better at parenting, and suddenly their family life is transformed. It's my joy when I see young men that are struggling with pornography set free and get into a a, a healthy lifestyle and, and get into a relationship with someone that loves them. It's a joy... That's what we should live for. Live for that joy. You are our joy, says Paul. You are our glory, says Paul. Paul and the Philippians are tied together. There's something that links them. And they all of us. There's something that links us all together. And we should all long to see each of us do really well because we all share in the glory. We all share in the joy. And so when we appear before the Lord one day, it is going to be to receive praise for the things that we've done. Here's the other thing that I think about a lot. Every little bit of unforgiveness, God is going to expose that. He's going to say, actually, you could have done better there. It's going to be obvious to everyone where we haven't forg- forgiven others. But Paul says that on that day, that glory, the way that you shine, that is what's going to bring glory to God as well one day on that final day I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain and so I want to leave you with that as we um, reflect on Christmas as we reflect on all the lights and all the celebration you know whatever your personal circumstances are now they might change whatever my personal circumstances are now they might change in the next five years I don't know Helen and I were just a little naughty thought. Helen and I were just talking the other day. And often, you know, Facebook and Twitter is a really kind of rah-rah kind of place, isn't it? Everyone only puts up their good stories on Facebook. Everyone only puts up the good stuff on Instagram. And I've got a number of friends that always put up this little phrase, The best is yet to come! Have you ever (laughs) seen that on Facebook? The best is yet to come! And I get what they're saying. I can on one level... I get what they're saying. But you know, I don't know if that's always true. I'm not trying to discourage you. But what did Paul say? <laughs> he didn't say the best is yet to come. He said, this is what I know awaits me. Hardship, trial, suffering for the sake of the gospel. Oh, we don't like that as Westerners, do we? We don't like to think that things might be... you know, we, Around the corner, we might have some trials. Around the corner, we might just... Peripipto, we might just fall into something that we weren't expecting... And we didn't think about, and somehow we think that that's not the, you know, we've been, if we have hard things in our lives, somehow God has left us or we're not faithful to the gospel. And, and, and I put to you that the church is largely responsible for that. Preaches this kind of self-help, rah-rah, kind of Jesus is your big Santa Claus in heaven and he'll fix all your problems. And it's really going to be smooth sailing. That is such a middle class, western view of life. And Jesus doesn't promise that. He says, actually, this is what you can always depend on. Underneath your life are the everlasting arms of the Father. Don't fear. Whatever comes, because I am with you, and I'm with you even till the end of the age. Whatever comes. Good things, bad things, and indifferent things. And as you shine like stars in the midst of what is dark around you, that brings glory to my Father in heaven, brings glory to the church, brings glory to other people because they can see the progress that you're making. That's where you put your focus. That is where you put your trust. Our reward are our fellow believers, those that we love. Our success is being a blessing to other people. And it's the very thing, says Paul, That will be your glory in eternity one day. That you haven't lived for yourself. That you've lived for others. That you've lived joyfully. That you've lived with a smile on your face in the midst of trials. You've never given up. You've persevered. And Jesus gets glory through all of it. That's good news. (laughs) It means you can live in a relaxed, happy way. Knowing that your Father is good. And that He's in heaven cheering you on to succeed as you walk by faith. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.